The Vote 2018 podcast is brought to you by First Amendment Media, creators of the Vote 2018 podcast and deep reporting with Rex Carlin. Head on over to firstamendmentmedia.com to check out all the past episodes of both shows and to sign up for the Morning Rex, our email newsletter that launches March 26th. We're really excited about the Morning Rex, so sign up. It's totally free and will be the most content-diverse newsletter you'll ever sign up for. That's the Morning Rex newsletter on firstamendmentmedia.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at the handles at 1-S-T-A-M-E-N-D media. That's at First Amend Media and at Rex Carlin. That's at R-E-X-C-A-R-L-I-N for links to all the latest podcast episodes and more. Today I'm joined by Denver Post political reporter John Frank to discuss the 2018 race for governor in Colorado. An open race because Democratic Governor John Hickenlooper is term limited. We discuss Hickenlooper's potential presidential run, the complicated primary process in Colorado, and the extremely competitive Democratic primary race to see who will square off against the Republican challenger in the fall. Let's get started. Let's start first with setting the stage here. Outgoing Governor John Hickenlooper, Democrat, term limited, cannot run for re-election. What is his lasting impact on Colorado? What do the people of Colorado think about him uh, as he's outgoing? And how, how might that sort of set the tone for what this upcoming election to replace him is going to be like? Governor Hickenlooper is poised to leave office here with a pretty high approval rating somewhere in the mid-50s to 60s range, as well as leave the state with a strong economy. Colorado is often ranked as the number one economy in the country. He will remind uh, most crowds he speaks to that when he first came into office, the state was 40th in job creation. Now it's in the top five. So the economy, um, the rebound from the recession, his focus on um, workplace development, skills development through entrepreneurship, as well as apprenticeship, is really kind of his main lasting legacy, though there are certainly other issues to look at when it comes to uh, major litmus test issues, such as, you know, allowing gay marriage and signing a ban on large ammunition gun magazines. Those were more controversial moments uh, of his uh, eight years in office, but the economy is the one he focuses on most. Now, when people hear about the Colorado economy and, and me being here in Washington State, uh, the first thing people probably think of is, is the marijuana industry. What, how has that development, um, that industry changed, obviously became legalized over the course of him being in office? And what do you think the impact that's had on the state? It's an interesting question of whether to put marijuana into his legacy because on one hand, he opposed legalized marijuana. On the other hand, he touts his administration's ability to implement a regulatory system, a first-in-the-nation system, that largely is used as a model for all the other states now legalizing uh, recreational marijuana. It's a fascinating case. We certainly had hiccups along the way here, and we're still uh, fine-tuning Colorado's system. There's still concerns about access, uh, children's access to marijuana, as well as uh, ER rates for uh, um, children and even some teenagers. But in large part, the regulatory system is is working here. And, uh, you know, that's what the governor is probably most 
known for on the national stage by the folks who casually pay attention to politics. I don't think you'll end up seeing as part of his pitch if he were to run for president. Uh, on that note, we had a story in Monday's paper about his moves in that direction. He's been meeting with some top political players as well as uh, international players, for that matter, all as a part of looking at a possible 2020 bid. He'll visit April for the first time in an official capacity. In April, he'll go to Iowa. So it'll be interesting to see how that visit is interpreted, how he's received there, even if it is just in an official capacity. Before we keep going with the uh, gubernatorial race, one last question on him: that is that a is that a feeling out thing? Is that something where he might gain some traction? What are the thoughts there? Because there's every every semi big name Democrat is looking into it, right? Everyone's going to take a trip to Iowa, sort of feel it out a little bit. Is this someone who could be a legitimate contender? Is this someone who's just feeling it out to see what the interest would be? What are, what are the thoughts there when you hear? John Hickenlooper, potential presidential candidate. We just spoke to the governor about moments ago, and he told reporters he remains 100% focused on his final year in office. So, of course, our story from Monday, some of the records we looked at, and some of his close allies we spoke to suggest that he is more serious than ever about a possible presidential bid. Right now, it sounds like he's in the stages of fact-finding, that is, trying to figure out what he would need to do next. He's talking to a lot of the right people about the first steps he would make. Uh, and, and that's a pretty serious move. In 2016, he ended up on the shortlist for Hillary Clinton's vice presidential uh, picks. He did not get that, but it certainly put him uh, more prominently on the national stage and made him think about it more. And he would have a good story to tell. He's an intriguing, kind of quirky governor, a laid-off geologist turned brew pub owner who uh, plays guitar with bands on stage when they come to Denver and, and, you know, has an ability to reach across the aisle with some centrist positions on issues. Going back to the 2018 race here, the casual reader of of your newspaper, the casual follower of politics, might look at sort of this primary process and be a little confused, especially after some of the stuff that came out of the caucuses last week where it sounds like the people of Colorado don't necessarily know who they're thinking about voting for in these primaries, whether it be... I don't know if it's a name recognition problem or if there's just so many candidates, wide open races. So could you explain a little bit about how this primary process works in Colorado and then what the actual situation is in this year's governor's race? Of course, and, and Colorado is an odd duck. So the confusion on the part of our voters, let alone folks from out of state, is completely understandable covered four different states now, and Colorado does it differently than all of them. So the bottom line here in Colorado is if you're a candidate for statewide office, there's two ways to make the ballot. One, you can get voter signatures in each of the seven congressional districts for a total of 10,000-plus signatures to qualify for the ballot. The second way, the cheaper way, and, you know, the more as critics call it, antiquated way, is to go through the caucus process. 
Now, this starts with neighborhood precinct caucuses that look and sound a lot like the presidential ones, but builds over the course of a month and a half. So you would win on the Democratic side, for instance. You would win delegates at the caucus level who would advance to the county level where there'd be another vote that you'd have to win among those delegates to collect more support ahead of congressional and state-level assemblies. And I'm sure I've lost everyone by now. But the bottom line is you get to the state assembly. You want your delegates seated in the audience because there'll be a vote. And if you get 30% of that vote among the 4,000-some delegates, you qualify for the ballot. You get your name on the ballot, and you didn't have to go on TV or run this massive campaign. Um, if you get less than 30%, you can still go the signature route, but the deadlines this year make that a little tougher because the signatures are due before the state assemblies meet. Now on the Republican side for governor, because we've got wide open races on both sides, the process works similarly. It's just not as formalized. So at the precinct level, you elect delegates to the county level, which will then go to the congressional district and state assemblies. Again, you want those people in the audience to be your supporters because there will be a vote at the state assembly. And again, you would need 30% of that vote to automatically make the ballot. On the Democratic side, uh, Carrie Kennedy, a former state treasurer, is the most prominent candidate taking that caucus path. The other candidates are either doing a combination of the caucus and voter signature petition process, now, on the Republican side, Attorney General Cynthia Kaufman is the only candidate pursuing that complicated caucus delegate process. The other candidates are collecting signatures. For somebody who is is listening and going, well, that seems really complicated, and if the other states aren't doing that, why is Colorado doing it? What is the point? Is it is it to make it more accessible for someone who doesn't have the funding to run an expensive ad campaign? That's the bottom line when you ask supporters of the caucus system. It's, it's a grassroots system where you win the support of your uh, fellow neighbors who are your party members. It's a party-building process. It's designed to essentially allow uh, an easier way to the ballot for candidates that don't have a lot of money. You're correct. Now, what it does is it produces a different kind of candidate, though particularly on the Republican side, because we haven't really had a contested Democratic caucus in the last couple decades. But on the Republican side, what you'll typically get out of the caucus process is a more conservative candidate, a candidate more aligned with the party activists. Because you got to keep in mind, on the caucus level, uh, here on, on when we had had them on March 6th, only 2% of the Democratic Party participated and something like a, a fraction, less than 1% of the Republican Party participated. So you're getting a lot of the diehards. You're getting a lot of the people that are, are, are really uh, committed Democrats and Republicans. So you get a candidate that reflects their views. And that is certainly different than the uh, 3 million voters in Colorado. You've got to keep in mind in Colorado, independent or unaffiliated voters are the plurality, uh, larger than both the Democratic and Republican parties, which each have about a million uh, voters each. Let's jump into the Democratic primary race. Who are the big contenders? Who's raising money? I know there's several candidates, but can we pare that down a little bit, or is it really wide open for you know, everyone who is in this race. 
that's the tough part. It remains pretty wide open at this point because voters really won't start paying attention until June when the primary is. It's at the end of June, June 26th. Between now and then, we're going to see a, a pretty concerted effort to get them educated. And we can talk about it later, but this year, for the first time, independent voters can actually participate in the party primaries as part of a semi-open primary system. But ahead of this, the candidates we're looking at are about five on the Democratic side, about four on the Republican side that have a viable chance of winning. On the Democratic side, you have Kennedy, the state treasurer, uh, who is running on a platform uh, mostly focused on education and increasing teacher pay. You also have uh, Mike Johnston. He's a former state senator from Denver who is uh, very much aligned with the Obama coalition. He's pushing for um, education reform. He's also pushing for more health care. Uh, his big issue lately, though, is gun safety. He's uh, really hammering that issue to uh, try to win support among hardcore Democrats. Uh, the other two candidates, or three candidates you have, are Jared Polis, a congressman from Boulder, who is a favorite among environmentalists, uh, but is you know, starting to moderate himself in a way that some liberal activists are find distasteful. You also have Lieutenant Governor Donna Lynn. Now, this is Governor Hickenlooper's lieutenant governor. She's just been in office uh, for about two years now. And she uh, is much more of a centrist business Democrat. And then the final candidate you have is Noel Ginsburg. He's a businessman, entrepreneur, who's done a lot in our community, but has never run for political office. And he probably has the toughest path to the ballot. Right now, it would appear that it's a wide-open race between Polis, Kennedy, Johnston and Lynn. If you look at polling, they rank them in about that order. Now, quickly on the Republican side, you've got four candidates, but there's really one that's dominating the race. That's State Treasurer Walker Stapleton. He is a Bush family relative, and he is raising huge money across the country uh, from his political network. He is also a term-limited uh, politician. He's been in office the last eight years. Challenging him on the Republican side is the Attorney General, Cynthia Kaufman. She got a late start and is struggling to really get a campaign together. She doesn't have a campaign manager, so she doesn't need one. Uh, she hasn't raised much money either. The other two prominent candidates is a former state lawmaker, Victor Mitchell, who's a businessman and says he's the outsider in the race. The one true candidate who has not uh, been in public office before, so the true outsider would be Doug Robinson. Interestingly, though, he is a nephew of Mitt Romney, so he certainly has been in political circles before. So that rounds out the, the top tier of the Republican field. No no outsider is really too far of an outsider, huh? It's hard these days, uh, because to mount a successful campaign in Colorado, you need uh, a political base, so you need to have been part of the party, and you need money. And uh, either way, both those things are, are easy enough to draw you into the apparatus of the party or at least the political sphere. So it's, it's tougher these days than ever to really run from the outside and be successful in Colorado. So when it comes to the Democratic primary, is there any concern or talk among the other candidates that Jared Paulus might use 
a lot of his own money, um, known as a, a very wealthy person, to sort of try to drown out the noise in that primary and, and buy up TV space and, and do some things that maybe the other candidates can't afford to do? Or is that not quite a concern yet? That, that is a concern among his rivals. And we're already seeing him put his money uh, into this campaign in a pretty significant way. He has uh, suggested that he's going to do what it takes to win this race. How much money that ends up being remains a mystery, but his prior campaigns have showed that he's willing to spend as much as it takes to win. Already you see him um, going through both the caucus and the petition signature process. That's a really expensive um, uh, path to do both, and a lot of candidates can't afford to do both. At the same time, he has he's showing his money uh, by opening ten offices around the state already, and we're you know a few months out from the primary and well out from November, so that's still pretty early. So he's flexing his muscle and obviously has a huge campaign team to help get him on the ballot. He's probably the best known Democrat in the race, so polls show him with an advantage at this point. But voters are really still learning about what he stands for and what he's saying now in his gubernatorial run, which is different than what he said in prior runs in some cases. With this Republican primary, I know you said it earlier, Walker Stapleton, sort of the front runner there. Is he clearly the front runner? I mean, he's he's got the backing behind him, sort of probably got this national national fundraising leg with him is anyone within reach or is this uh sort of his race to lose i think most pundits in colorado would tell you it's his race to lose now because of how much money he's raising and because of his as you mentioned national profile as well as the fact he's been a statewide elected officer for the last eight years uh attorney general cynthia kaufman could give him a challenge and she is a little more moderate on some issues so she according to some Democratic strategists I've spoke to, would probably appeal better in the November general election for Republicans than Walker Stapleton. So the question of electability in November is sure to be a prominent one in the Republican primary. But right now, we're in the caucus process, so the candidates are much more focused on appealing to their bases, you know, folk, uh, discussing immigration, which is a major issue, probably the top issue among Republican voters who we poll in Colorado. But yes, Walker Stapleton would seem to be the person at the top of the list to beat. The other candidates, Doug Robinson and, and Victor Mitchell, have a tougher time. They haven't been able to really um, capture you know, or dominate the race, and they've been in it for months now. But that being said, it's worth noting that you know there's enough disagreement about Walker Stapleton that he couldn't clear the field to start with, as Republicans have done in the past, for instance, for U.S. Senator Cory Gardner when he ran in 2014. So if when you look at it that way, that there's enough uh, folks out there who are looking for an alternative to Walker Stapleton, whether it's enough to uh, defeat him in the primary, that's the question that uh, we still don't know yet. I've talked to some of these to some of these other reporters in other states, whether it be for Senate races or governor's races. There seems to be somewhat of a theme in some of these races where um, the and, and a, a theme historically with the primary process and stuff where uh, in a primary or a caucus setting, obviously, and you've said it earlier, you're appealing to the 
far ends of your of of the party because that's who's showing up to these but then when you win the primary you win a caucus you have to go win the general election which is obviously a much more moderate crowd than the primary crowd have you seen that as being problematic for either democrats or republicans in colorado with this process from having to appeal to the far stretches of a base and then having to go into a general to win over these moderates in a historical look this is the dominant issue and problem uh some would say with our caucus process and on the republican side for instance uh, republicans continue to nominate a candidate that cannot appeal in a state with a majority 1.4 million unaffiliated voters uh we've seen that for years that's why we've had a democrat elected governor the last three times. And we saw that as recently as 2016 in the Senate race. The candidate that came out of the caucus process, Daryl Glenn, won the primary in June to face Michael Bennett. Uh, Republicans really thought they had a chance uh, to defeat Michael Bennett, thought the political winds were at their back. But Daryl Glenn never had the ability, nor did his campaign attempt to, appeal to the moderate um, voter in Colorado, you know, the ones that, the swing voters that decide elections, the ones that make us a national presidential battleground. So you saw Michael Bennett win pretty uh, easily in that 2016 Senate race. This year, Republicans swear they're not going to repeat those mistakes, but the caucus process, as well as, you know, pretty competitive primary, will surely pull their candidates a little further to the right than they want to. The same applies to the Democrats. In the past, the Democrats have largely pick to their candidate to ahead of time, anointed a, a top person uh, before a primary fight could really uh, spoil their record. This year is the first wide-open Democratic governor's race in a long time, as I mentioned. Uh, so we may see that same effect of pulling too far to the political base and alienating some voters on the Democratic side. An interesting uh, caveat I mentioned earlier is that we create a semi-open primary system recently in Colorado, so independent voters will have the opportunity, those not affiliated with the party, to vote in one party or the other's primary election. So you could have unaffiliated voters voting in a Democratic race, a Republican race. No one's really sure how many of these people are going to vote, but there's certainly going to be some tactics and strategies on the candidates' part, and both parties for that matter, to appeal to them. That may really help the candidate who comes out of the primary have general election appeal. But we're still not quite sure what impact that's going to have. This is a real test, a first-time experiment here in Colorado this year. You talk about how many independent voters there are in Colorado. How, after a year of, of President Trump's administration, how are those independent voters reacting to his administration, and how might that affect in one way or another this upcoming race? Is there is there a base of support in Colorado for him? Is it Are, are these independents very moderate and, and could be falling away from any support they may have had for him? What, what is that like right now, and how could that affect who these candidates are and what their stances are and what the support might be like for these candidates? Colorado is a little different than other states, um, particularly battleground states. Uh, we 
are a Hillary Clinton state. She won by about five points here despite a, a really intense last-minute push by the Trump campaign. Trump visited the state numerous times in the final weeks while our mail ballots were in the field but could not uh, close the race any closer than five points. Um, part of that is certainly an appeal to independent voters. He really lacked that. That's They decided to break Hillary Clinton's way, which is why she won. Um, so far, his polling numbers probably are holding consistent with what you'd expect um, a, from that 2016 result. Republicans in Colorado remain deeply committed to the president. The, the voters who will vote in the primary, you know, the super active Republicans support President Trump by pretty solid margins based on some of the latest polling. But independents uh, view him negatively, and of course Democrats do the same. So he's pretty much where he was in 16. We've seen some moderate Republican support maybe drift away from him, but the intensity of the Trump support among um, Republican activists uh, remains stronger than ever. Now, what local issues could sway the undecided voter in this race? Wide open race on both sides, a lot of independent voters. What are people in Colorado looking for out of these candidates to respond to either statewide issues or local issues? There are a couple Colorado-specific issues that the candidates keep talking about. One is growth, particularly here in the Denver area. Um, the area is burgeoning and uh, over spilling its bounds, so to speak. There's you know new high rises going up, more apartments tearing down single houses. It's a very uh, Denver metro area specific issue, but we're also seeing in some other communities like Fort Collins and Colorado Springs. The second issue would be transportation. That same growth is over running our roads, and we just don't have uh, the money right now to repair those roads. So there's a statewide conversation about how to get that money. It's a talk of tax increases or um, new user fees for the roads, and that's spilling into the gubernatorial debate. It still remains to be seen whether those issues would decide the race. Um, it would surprise me if they did. Other more national litmus test issues seem to be really dominating the conversation now. So on the Democratic side, guns is a major issue. The candidates are focusing on this in a way that is designed to really kind of charge up their fan base. And it makes sense. The Parkland shooting is not just a Parkland, a Florida issue for us. Home to Columbine, we're home to Aurora theater shooting, and others that have really made the national gun conversation a Colorado conversation. On the Republican side, the issue of immigration in sanctuary cities is pulling very strongly among Republicans. And Denver is kind of in the crosshairs of a sanctuary city, according to the Trump administration. So you're hearing the Republican candidates talk about this a good bit. Uh, these kind of litmus test issues, these hot-button issues, I guess I'm saying, on the both sides of the political spectrum are probably going to drive more interest in this race than uh, the average transportation issue. With crowded fields like this, though, you know, social science research is pretty clear that it's about personality and uh, more than policy solutions when it comes to which candidate is going to win. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. That was 
Uh, that was a lot there, I know, trying to unravel the caucus and, and primary structure in Colorado. But thanks so much for doing that. Thanks for sort of explaining what is going on out there. And it looks like it's going to be a pretty tight race all the way through. So where can we find uh, your information? Where can we follow you and see your writing as this continues as we get closer towards the primaries? Uh Excellent. Yes. Um, you can find most of our work at denverpost.com backslash politics. You can also follow me on Twitter at by John Frank. Uh, we, there will be a lot of action here in the months to come. So uh, stay tuned. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening, everyone. We're officially on iTunes. So subscribe and listen there at hashtag vote 2018. Or you can follow the SoundCloud channel, hashtag Vote2018. And remember to head over to FirstAmendmentMedia.com to check out episodes from Deep Reporting with Rex Carlin and sign up for the Morning Rex newsletter. Deep Reporting with Rex Carlin is now also on iTunes, so subscribe, share, and rate over there as well. Follow us on Twitter on the handles at FirstAmendMedia, that's at 1-S-T-A-M-E-N-D Media, and at Rex Carlin, that's at R-E-X-C-A-R-L-I-N on Twitter for all the latest information. I'm Rex Carlin, and you've been listening to the Vote 2018 podcast.